0: Lent is such an interesting and interesting time, because of course, um, this is the moment, really for us as a church, where we're setting our attention on Easter, and rather than building to that slow, I think that's really where I want to start today. Um, thankfully, Easter comes again with or without our consent. The resurrection of Jesus is around the corner, and we go hurtling into resurrection life one way or the other. It always works out a lot better if we make space for that, though. And that's really what Lent is about, is the preparation of our hearts to be able to receive what God wants to do that's new. And that's the whole reason, really, for the season of Lent. It's a time of preparation so that we're able to clear space for the new life that God wants to bring. And that's really the, the spirit of what I want to uh, talk to you about for the next few minutes. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I'm, um, I'm once again so stirred to be here. The worship has been rich and the sense of your presence with us is so strong and the prayers that we prayed today, um, I don't know, this this whole experience just always gets a hold of my heart and I'm thankful for the safety of this place. We're thankful for the gift of your presence in this place. We just ask now that we would make ourselves um, available and open for that presence to shift us and to change us and to speak into us to reform us, to rearrange us, whatever you want to do, Lord. We just invite your spirit now, uh, and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to to hear what you want to say and do amidst your people today. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, everybody said amen. We will go to the text um, that's very traditional for the first Sunday in Lent, and that's the uh, story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4. Beginning with verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written that one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant. All the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him him until an opportune time. And I want to especially highlight this verse. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee And a report about him spread throughout the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Let's look at just one more short text together. This is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. I have preached on the wilderness text, I feel like a thousand times. I love this story. I think it's loaded um, with so many implications, so many things that we need. I love to talk about the character of the particular temptations and a lot of things that I love to talk about in terms of the function and purpose of the wilderness in general. I don't want to do any of that today, though. I want to keep this very, very simple, and that is just just this focal point that Jesus, the whole function of him willfully withdrawing into the wilderness for this season of preparation for this 40 days, the whole function, the whole purpose is so that Jesus gets a sense of clarity, about his own sense of calling, his own vocation, his own identity. The whole point is so that he comes out on the other side full of the power of the Holy Spirit, Um, so aware exactly of what God is calling him to do. That's what this whole season is about. Lent is always a time that prepares us to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I think it's just really important that we start with that end in mind or in Hebrew, since the journey to Easter is always about a journey to the cross, the idea that Jesus is the one who endures the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that's set before him. Today I really want to kind of set the joy before us so we have this sense that what we're doing during the season of Lent is a way of making space for resurrection we are making room for resurrection life we're making room for new life I think The the call that God has for us, and I've prayed about this a lot this week, but specifically for you this weekend, is just this idea of making space for God in new ways in a way that involves letting go of things that are old. Sometimes letting go of things that are old that really aren't even bad, but just simply it is about old life, whereas God is calling us into new life. What are the areas, what are the places where you find yourself clinging on to things a little bit too tightly? Uh, I love that language again of Hebrews, the the sins, the the things that we we cling to so closely. What are those things? I've been in a season in my life still of um, such great transition. Uh, It was the end of April of last year that I stepped down from the church that I pastored for eight years. That's been one of the most painful experiences of my life because, you know, I loved our church. It's very much a, a similar vibe uh, there at Renovati to what you have here. It's a wonderful community, um, but knowing there was too much other work that needed to be done in me, I left, and I miss it. I still live in Charlotte, and um, I, have this, I had this weird sense, especially after the first of the year, where it dawned on me, because, you know, I'm basically writing and speaking full-time these days, but I'm still in the same places, kind of the same haunts in town, and I realized just how much I felt like the closest thing I have to a real job is being the former pastor of Renovatus, you know, <laughs> which is not a great feeling. Like, you don't like the idea, like, this is my vocation in life now, is to be the ex-pastor of Renovatus, and, and I just have that sense, and um, so it was just after the first of the year, and I got together with a few old friends, all of whom were connected to that part of my life and ministry in some way. And I remember specifically saying in no less than four or five conversations in like three days, telling my friends you know that I feel like, uh, that, that I feel like I'm just the former pastor at Renovatus, and specifically, I used the phrase, "I feel like I'm the ghost of the Pastor of Renovatus, and I'm still kind of haunting the city, you know, <laughs> like this sort of shell of the former self, not quite into. Whatever the new life is just yet, I uh, don't know exactly what that looks like. I just feel like I'm just this way of kind of clinging on. So that Friday night in particular, I went out to eat with a couple friends of mine who used to work on staff with me at the church. And so we went out and grabbed some dinner, and then we went to a, just a, a lovely little neighborhood bar where we went over for a drink. I do want to say for the purpose of the podcast, because I presume my mom will hear this message, I just want her to know that I drunk a Coke that night when we uh, went out. The, the really interesting thing about that statement is that it's literally half true. That statement is exactly half true. Half of it was, was in fact, Coke. So, we got, <laughs> I got pre-approval from this joke from Pastor Ed. Uh, I I've, I've filed a request. <laughs> the sanctuary is a safe community. Um... But I was just hanging out with my friends who really were having just a lovely night. It was really nice. And I saw this girl from across the way. I didn't recognize her at first, actually, uh, but who used to attend our church. I hadn't seen her in like five years uh, she's a wonderful artist in our city, does really, really extraordinary work. And, but I just hadn't seen her in so long. And she came over and said hello. I didn't quite recognize her. She didn't quite recognize me like a lot of people uh, in my world because I cut my hair, you know. It's symbolic also of the season, all this transition, et cetera, et cetera. No telling what I'll look like by the next time I get here. Um, they, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll shave my head. Who knows? But she, um, she comes up to me, and we you know we exchange pleasantries, say, hey, how are you, catching up, whatever, and it got a little awkward, and I'm not sure exactly why. I didn't feel like I was being awkward, but apparently I was. I mean, I'd, I've only known her as pastor, and I don't know if it was something about, like, just being in a bar. I don't know what it was, but apparently I acted weird, and um, she, she laughed at one point, And I asked her, why are you laughing? And she said, I don't know. She said, you just kind of still feel like, you know, you're Pastor Jonathan. And I was like, well... It's the only way I've known you is as your pastor. I mean, I baptized her, et cetera. We kind of laughed about this, but I mean, she, the gesture was clear that she thought I acted a little uptight, which I didn't mean to be uptight. But anyway, she went back over. She was playing pool with her friends. I'm sitting with mine right before I was getting ready to leave. Um, her name's Sarah. Um, she came over a second time, and she asked if she could talk to me for a minute. And I didn't set this part up before. I, again, hadn't seen her in a long time, but I've always known her to... I'll put the word in quotation marks, but to operate, I'd say, in the prophetic. I mean, a very intuitive person. I remember this about her. And there was no, like, King James language. There was no, thus saith the Lord. But she got that kind of intensity in her eyes. And uh, she, she says, uh, Jonathan, I just want to tell you, you know, I was so happy when I saw you came in tonight. But after we actually talked, I felt a lot less happy. And I, I don't know why except to say it just feels like that you're kind of hanging on to your old life in some way. You just walked in, and her exact words were tonight. I, I just had the sense of, like, he's like the ghost of the pastor of Renovatus. And I was <laughs> feeling the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. That's one, that's the Holy Spirit just has that way of, like, wow, good gracious, man, just said that in the last three days in four or five different conversations. And what she said to me was, I just think you... You haven't come to a place yet where you're really able to own exactly where you are. I think you've got to be really present to wherever this place is. And even if that means like you're falling down a little bit lower, you've you've got to be in that place. You've got to speak from that place. You've got to write from that place. Everything has to come from there or it's not going to be sincere. It's not going to be real. You've got to become comfortable in this new place that God has you and not just have this sense of like, clinging on to the person that you were or the, or the things that you did before. You're not the pastor of the church anymore. And this is new, Anyway, it was just really, it was really profound for me. I, I recall specifically when I got in the car laughing because I really was like, Lord, can I not just go out on a Friday night and just have a good time with my friends? I mean, I feel like I just can't outrun these things, you know? It's like re- really wonderful and sometimes can drive me crazy. It's like I, mean, I was not looking for some kind of prophetic word here in the middle of the bar or whatever. But I've... Um, I've thought about that a lot in the last few weeks and and specifically raising the question for myself, what does it look like to allow old things in my life to pass away? Once again, with the caveat that allowing old things to pass away and all things to become new is not just about sin. That is part of it. It's a big part of it, but it's not all of it. Sometimes letting old things pass away simply has to do with letting go of things that have been comfortable and familiar, uh, the things that have become a kind of security blanket that keep us really from being threatened by resurrection in all the ways that we need to be. (laughs) Resurrection is very threatening. Resurrection is very upending. And if we're going to create space for that, that means there has to be a very deliberate season before it of letting go of old things, of letting go of familiar things in a way that creates space for the new. So, um, specifically in the season of Lent, one of the ways that we do that is uh, we do fast. And I know Pastor Ed mentioned a number of you are fasting already. I don't know what you're fasting from. I know what you're fasting for. Um, I think that's a really important practice. I think it's important as a community to practice these things together. I, I do want you to understand this, though. The whole focus of the season, especially for those of us that are, in, that are entering into Lent that way, please understand that what we're not trying to do, and I want to be very clear about this, is we're not bartering with God in order to get God to bless us. You know, this is not a bargaining process. Um, God is the one who makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You don't have to do anything to earn God's blessing. So I, I thought of this story when I was a kid. My dad, I think I was about nine or 10 years old, and my dad had a terrible incident. He was president of a Bible college. He was under a lot of stress and Basically, got to, we were actually at the beach on vacation. You know, that goes often when you rest, is when things catch up with you. Had to go to the emergency room. Uh, bottom line is that his stomach had eroded away from his esophagus, almost died. Had to do this emergency surgery. Um, I was scared to death. And I remember specifically, um, I went to this little chapel at the hospital. And I remember just pleading with the Lord, because uh, at that point in my life, my favorite thing in the world was the WWF, and specifically my WWF wrestlers. Do you remember? Do you, remember, you guys remember these little like plastic kind of action figures about this big? Like, I had the whole set. You know, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and. The honky talk man and demolition, all the way down, like and I would spend hours playing with my wrestlers every day. I had the ring and like the steel cage. And I actually, on an old word processor, I used to actually type up like the, the card, the, the matches for each night, and I would keep scores of them. I would keep records of wins and losses. I mean, it was like my whole thing. That, by the way, was just last week. It's amazing. I mean, it's like, this is what I, I... still do this now. In the bathtub. Yeah, it's very... It's kind of... No. I, 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 love, I love these wrestlers so much. And I was just... I remember specifically, like, I wanted God to heal my dad. And the only thing I could think to volunteer, like, the thing that was most precious to me was my wrestlers. So I remember telling the Lord very earnestly. I was like, God, if you'll heal my dad, if you'll let him live, I will give up playing with my wrestlers forever. That was the offer I made to the Lord. And thankfully, um, my dad pulled through the surgery. He did great. Within a few months, he, he got much better. God came through. About six months later, um, the Lord and I renegotiated the contract on, <laughs> on the wrestlers, <laughs> which I don't feel too bad about. You know, like uh, retrospectively, I really think, you know, God wanted to to touch my dad because God is good, and that's the kind of God that He is. I don't think He was really asking me to give up wrestling figures forever, but for so much of my life, that's what that's how my mind has worked. You know, is this sense of well, if I do this, God will do that. Somehow we obligate Him, and none of that's true. And uh, so, believe it or not, take this however you want. Um, fasting, laying things down the way that we do in a season like this, believe it or not, that's actually not for God. It, it is for God in the sense that you do it out of a place of devotion and adoration and an act of worship. But it does it like, it does it somehow, um, th- these aren't the magic things that make God happy. Like, oh, you stop playing with your wrestling figures. Oh, wow, I feel, you know, he feels great about himself now. That's just not... <laughs> He's not looking for you just to randomly give up stuff that you love. That's not how he is. That's not what he's looking for. Fasting, in a sense, really isn't for God. It's for us. It's for us. Because what happens is we develop a kind of dependency on these things. We develop a kind of dependency on stuff that keeps us from really stepping out like full bore to lean into the power of Christ and his resurrection. So the reason we engage in these practices is not in order to make God happy, but to make us strong. That's what happens. It strengthens our spirit. It causes our senses to be sharper and more acute. It puts us more in touch with the sense of the divine. It it, it unclogs us. It clears us out. It creates space for resurrection, but it's very much for us and, and not for God in that way. So the reason that we lay these things down is so we can be empty in that way that once again allows God to fill us. And I think especially as we go into this season, because um, I know some of you, and I, I, I want you to know you're not off the hook here, I, we've already got past Ash Wednesday, but if you haven't started one of these practices, you still can start. It's still kind of a long way to Easter, so you know, you're know you not automatically out of the woods. I want us to really discern and reflect a bit what it is that God's calling you in this season to lay down. What are the things that God is calling you to set aside for this particular season? What are the areas where he's inviting you. Because the beautiful thing about Lent is we are invited to go into this willingly, which is always so much better, I think, than God removing these props from us, is <laughs> to have an intentional season where we set out to do this, right? Like, I'm going to create this space. I'm going to carve out this time. I'm going to lay down these things because I choose to, because I want to. It always goes better when we do that. So, Lent is a time where we enter into this kind of wilderness willfully and willingly. Um, I want to I especially encourage you with this. When it comes time to a season like Lent where I need to fast, where I need to create space for God, I think the best place to start, and I know this might sound painfully obvious, but is in any area of your life where you feel like you're um, compulsive in some way, if there are any addictive tendencies whatsoever, always the right place to start. And I know that sounds really obvious, and some people probably say, well, if something's addictive, you shouldn't do it at all. You know, I hear that, but... The reason I bring this up is because I do think we're really ingenious. This is how, especially, and I have this kind of mind, by the way, I have a very religious kind of um, oddly sort of legalistic mind that's always looking for loopholes into things, right? So it's like, that's how, and so my ways of bargaining with God in that sense are ingenious because I will come up with something random to do that will still make me feel kind of pious, to make me feel like I'm appeasing God in some way, but will still allow me to cling on to the things that I really want to cling on to. You know, like I'm very, very good at this. So we have to be, re- I think, always starting at that ground level of where am I compulsive? Where, am I, where is there uh, something in my life that's veering towards addiction? Um, hypothetical conversation. So you ask someone, hey, so what are, um, what are you really dealing with? What's going on in your heart? What are the areas where you really need God's light? What's going on? Well, man, I'm really struggling with pornography. You know, this is becoming an addiction in my life, and it's affecting my relationships. It's affecting work. Okay, great. great. So, so what are you giving up for Lent? What are you gonna do? I'm giving up dark chocolate. You know, that's the kind of thing we would do. Like, I'm, I'm dark. Do you like dark chocolate? Not really. You know, really kind of bitter. Don't. Not my thing. You know, but I'm giving up dark chocolate for Lent. Like, this is the kind of thing we will do. Like, come up with some random sacrifice. That not only is God not really looking for, but really isn't, it, it's not going to give us the strength that we need, you know? So I think starting to look in those areas where there's any propensity towards compulsion it is always the best place to look. That means we're getting into the sensitive areas. That means we get into the stuff where we're really squeamish. That means, so whatever's coming to your mind right now, they're already thinking, well, dear God, I hope it's not that. That's what I'm talking about. Whatever in your head just went like, oh, anything but that, that's exactly what I mean. Because whatever it is that we're afraid of God touching in that way, I'm telling you, I'm uh, especially in this season of my life, I find that food has never been more comforting than it is right now. And that seems like so safe. I come from the church of God where everything was a sin except eating. And we could do that as much as we want. You know what I mean? Like there is no, there is no such thing as excess. So I do... Love comfort foods, and I was talking to a friend actually the other day who's giving up like carbs for Lent, and immediately I felt in my spirit like I'm getting all defensive because I'm scared to death that Jesus will take my carbs away from me. And I'm like, I'm all right with not passing the church, I'm okay with these other things, but don't take my carbs away from me. I get super defensive about it, I start this whole thing in my head of like, you know, Lord, you said you're the bread of life, and if if you 're against carbs, then why did you become carbs for me? You know what I mean like I got very i like i 'm very very upset about this like take anything else you want but don 't mess with my carbs like this is this is my source of life and strength and hope I passed those donuts this morning and I, anyway, I just get like um So you get a sense of my strongholds, I suppose. But yeah, whatever that is, where where everything in you says no, anything but that, that's almost always the area that God really wants to touch because it's in those areas that we're clinging on so tightly that there's always an unhealthy kind of dependence. And even again, when it's not sinful, it just is a way. Strangely enough, when we overindulge in anything, it has a way of numbing our senses. And that's what I think makes Lent in particular, such a special time is that God wants us to be fully alive. I promise you that. He wants you to be fully alive. He wants you to be fully human. The idea is not so that we're just, uh, that God doesn't want us to have a good time. The opposite of that. I think what happens through this is that in all the areas where we've been overindulging and our senses have become dull, they ha- we have a chance again to kind of wake up. Actually, to kind of wake up, the carbs will taste so much better on the other side of this, or on Sundays in general. We should say that in, in Lent is a feast day, so whatever you give up on Sunday, you can, you know, you can do that, unless, of course, maybe I should make that disclaimer in case, unless it is like a cocaine addiction, I wouldn't encourage that. To be like, man, I've been clean for six days. Thank you, Jesus. Sunday, feast day. <laughs> so there are some exceptions to this. Like, great. I uh, haven't robbed anybody all week, but today is my day. This is cool. No, it's like you, the, the, there is this way that I think we, we live with such a kind of sensory overload. Even the things that we love, we can't enjoy anymore because we do them too much. And uh, what happens in Lent is that our, our senses come alive again. But most of all, we become attuned to the presence of God in a different way. I, I don't want to overcook this sermon. My whole goal was to keep this very simple and clear. But I really do want to raise the question again. Where are you squeamish? Where are you nervous? Where do you bristle at even the idea that the Holy Spirit might want to work on me here? That the Holy Spirit might want me to lay something down here? Wherever that resistance is, that's probably exactly where we need to settle down and go. I had an image a few days ago. I don't think I've thought about this in my adult life, but I just remembered one time when I was a kid that uh, I think I ended up having strep throat, and I went to the doctor And they did the whole deal where they do the throat culture and he's putting the little uh, stick in the back of your throat. And I just remember, really, I was embarrassed about it even at the time because instinctively, as soon as the doctor did that, I guess like gag reflex, whatever, I grabbed his hands and like wrestled him away. And he was very upset. I wasn't, I mean, I I just wasn't a rebellious kid. It wasn't like that. It was just like pure instinct. It's like, oh, this is invading my mouth. No, you know, what are you doing? And kind of pushed him back. And just realizing just how often I feel like I do that to the Lord even still. I mean, here God comes with no intention except to heal me. No intention except to make me strong. Nothing in the world he wants to do but bless me. But still there's that knee-jerk defensiveness of, what are you doing here, God? (laughs) What are you messing with? It can feel invasive, you know? It's like it can feel intrusive. Like I don't know how comfortable I feel, Holy Spirit, with you messing with me here. What are you doing? And I just really think that it is precisely in those areas and places where we're the most squeamish about God touching that we most need God by his Spirit to do the work. So the good news is when we enter into this wilderness, when we enter into this time where we're laying things down, God is the one who becomes our provision. He becomes our provider. He sustains us. He cares for us. Oftentimes, especially in any, well, in the early stage of a fast, especially, um, you will go through this season where you would think, by not doing this, by laying this down, I feel like i 'm going to die. The good news is you usually don 't die sometimes you do, but you probably won 't die more than likely you 're going to be completely fine, you know more than likely fighting chance you 're going to make it you know, but there is that sense really i 'm telling you, Lord, I do hope i 'm not being led to lay down carbs now i 'm getting nervous about this the further I go because I know what that 's like, and I know what it 's like in general when i 'm fasting, and it really is like by day three, you just have this you just have this moment before it gets easier that it gets harder and you just think, I I just can't take this. Your body's kind of going nuts. It's because we're giving God an opportunity to rewire things in our brain and rewire things in here. It's a beautiful process. It's just not pleasant while it's actually going on. But all that God wants to do is beautiful. All that God wants to do is to make you more and more alive and more and more human. And And really put you in a place, I feel like I should say this, to enjoy him more and to enjoy the world more and to enjoy life more. This is all about making space for new life. So whatever it is that's old, whatever it is that you're hanging on to too tightly, that's a thing that God wants to push on in this season. I want us um, to take a few minutes to pray. And in fact, I'll invite you, if you would... um, don't do this very often, but I'd love it if we could kneel together actually. And just as a way of, for those of you who are physically able, if not sitting just fine, but I want us just to kneel. And if you could just close your eyes with me, um, just to take a few minutes this morning to really allow the, uh, the, the posture of our bodies to inform the postures of our heart. Because wherever and however you're feeling defensive, whatever it is that you're worried that God might call you to lay down or to give up or to set aside, this is the posture that gets us back into the right place, back into the humble place, back into the place of dependence and trust. And I want to encourage you, just for a moment, just to, um, as we are on our knees together, just to allow yourself to, to feel your smallness. Allow yourself to feel your dependence. We are not as strong as we think. We are creatures, dependent, small. Not nearly as much rides on us as we think. We're not as big as we, as we once thought. And I hope this morning you can receive the grace of your smallness. You can receive the, the grace of your dependence. I wanna ask you if you would in some form just to lift your hands in a posture of, um, of yielding but also a way of receiving. Lord, with our palms up this morning, we just surrender to you. We surrender to your life. We surrender to the presence of your spirit. We come to you now just not hanging on to anything or anyone. Lord, I just feel you and sense you now wanting to, to bring freedom to us. <laughs> feel the freedom this morning just of having your hands open where you're not clasping on anything, where you're not grasping on any person, any idea about who you are or who you're supposed to be, where we're not clinging on to anything. Open hearts open hands as we're in this posture I just want to remind you that Jesus even says to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection stop clinging on to me because she was clinging on to the Jesus that she once knew and God wanted her to know even him in a new way and that may be what God wants to do with some of us this Lent season is not even to cling to God in the ways that we've known him before, but allow Jesus to be revealed to us in a way that is new, in a way that is full of new life, new possibilities, to come to know even God in an entirely new way. So Lord, we just let go of everything we've been holding on to, everything that props us up, Holy Spirit, we ask you now to speak very specifically to us about the things that you're calling us to lay down, the things that you're calling us to set aside for this season. Would you just be very open and sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit in a really particular way right now? Whatever he's speaking to you about, whatever God's nudging on you about, Lord, we just trust you. We declare our trust. We declare our dependence. We know that you know what's best for us we know that you know what's good for us and instead of insisting somehow that we know better that we know what we need lord we just relinquish all control and we invite you holy spirit that whatever it looks like looks like now for us to set aside space and time whatever it means for us to clear out space for resurrection lord lead us into that so that we can be filled with the power of your spirit so that we can know who we are and what we're called to do. Lord, we yield, we surrender, and we invite your divine life to fill every nook and cranny of our souls, every all the areas, Lord, where we're incomplete, all the areas where we're broken. We just invite you, Lord, and we invite your resurrection life to fill us now. We yield to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can return to your seats. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.